Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to another Disney News on Parade for August 14th, 2020. Lots of news this week as Disney makes way for testing to occur on Disney property. Actors' Equity has allowed Disney cast members, stars of many of the Disney shows, to go back to work. We look at new upcoming hours at the parks, issues facing annual pass holders, and even new taste tests at Epcot's International Food and Wine Festival. Then we go around the globe to see some important happenings going on at Shanghai Disney, Hong Kong Disney, and Disneyland Paris, all of which have implications for the American parks. It's a busy news day for Disney News on Parade. And did we mention new animals for Kilimanjaro Safari? Remember that you can always check out our notes page, which has lots of photos and lots of insights that we are covering during this podcast. It's available at DisneyAtPlay.com. Well, thank you for joining us this evening. Well, let's get uh, let's get going. Disney uh, is offering a COVID nineteen testing location for cast members. The state of Florida will open a new testing site in Osceola County at Disney's Main Gate office complex, which is not very far away from Disney's Animal Kingdom. Testing will begin on August 14th, um, the day this podcast comes out, and it'll happen from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. It will serve Disney cast members along with their families and along with members of the public. Cast members can register for a test at DisneyCOVID19Test.com and the public can register at um, doineedacovid19test.com. The free testing is currently available um, at this location, not just uh, to Disney cast members, but to operating participant employees, family members. Um, and in truth, it's part of a public-private partnership um, with E-North, E-True North, which is uh, working with uh, um, health and human services, state and local officials, and pharmacy and lab partners to open testing sites in areas of need. So basically what's happened is the state has been having testing sites throughout. What Disney has done is provided a location uh, that is on the fringe of Disney's property. It is Disney's property, but it's kind of off away from the guest areas of the property. And it's allowing cast members to go in and and get tested for COVID. The, the test for those with or without symptoms is self-administered with a nasal swab from inside your car and the results are delivered in three to five uh, business days. It's, it's going to be interesting as to whether this news has any impact on how unions at Disneyland will feel about returning to the parks because they too had similar issues on hand. Um, now, at the same time this has come out, Kate Schindel, president of Actors Equity Association stated, quote, we have been consistent that testing is an important part of ensuring a safe workplace for equity performers. And today, I'm ple pleased to see that Walt Disney World has agreed. 
with the news that Disney will make testing available for equity performers and others in the park, I'm happy to announce that Equity's executive committee has signed a memorandum of understanding with Disney for equity performers to return. So if you haven't been following this, let me just kind of give you a little bit of context and a little setup here. Um, the uh, Actors' Equity Association, it's a national labor union. It represents more than about 51,000 professional actors as well as stage managers. Love you stage managers out there in live theater. Um, th with uh, Disney has several unions and a number of trade agreements that, that um, are part of its um, organizational workforce. All of those unions and all those trade agreements were made with Disney prior to reopening. For instance, someone who is has 40 years or 35 years working as a server in a restaurant, but that restaurant isn't opening. What is their prerogative for getting priority or is someone who has 20 years at a restaurant that is opening? So all those kinds of issues were kind of uh, battered around and dealt with and, and resolved with the exception of one group and that was Actors' Equity. You know Actors' Equity because you know the people who perform when you talk about the, the citizens of Hollywood, when you talk about the stars of Beauty and the Beast or the Indiana Jones stunt show or the Frozen um, Ever After sing-along um, or when you talk about the festival of the Lion King show or Finding Nemo the Musical. All of these, by the way, many of these actors actually came back on day one when all the everybody else was performing, was starting back up to work because they thought they were going back to work. But then Actors' Equity had said, whoa, whoa, time out here. You can't go back. We have not made the agreement with Disney. And the principal thing around that agreement with Disney was that... Um, was that uh, Disney was not providing um, testing, uh, COVID-19 testing for its um, cast members. And Disney just basically said, that's not ours to do. Now, do, are they able to get COVID-19 testing in the state of Florida? Absolutely. Are they, is it paid for? Most cases, the health insurance or the, and if not, the state of Florida is paying for it. So it isn't, quite that issue, but Actors' Equity kind of put a, a line in the sense of this has to, this has to occur by you and so forth. And, and so what happened is, is Disney and Actors' Equity has come to some sort of little agreement here saying, okay, we will put, we will work it out with other partners to provide a testing location on property for and, and give everyone an opportunity to come and get tested if they would like to be tested. And Actors' Equity bought into that. That was fortunate because many of the performers that I just previously named, many of the really wonderful people, people who deal with Savi's Workshop, people who deal um, with uh, convention performance groups and so forth, many of these performers were not happy with where Actors' Equity had gone in terms of drawing the line in the sand. They felt like Actors' Equity was treating um, the situation like they were Broadway performers and Disney's situation is not quite the same. Now, 
there are some who would argue and say, well, you know what? They just were wanting to get back to work and have a job and be able to pay for their families. And they, probably there's a lot of truth to that. But notwithstanding, there was a lot of individuals who were not in favor of, um, of uh, Actors' Equity Association. The good news is, is somehow compromise has happened. No one knows what happened in the room where it happened, but uh, compromise came. And now this has paved the way for Disney to return to doing shows back in the parks. When they didn't have the union performers, they retitled the show because of la um, labor union rules and so forth. And so they had a little band with some meet and greet characters performing at Beauty and the Beast, or they kind of did a DJ over at Playhouse Disney. They kind of, or they didn't have any show at all, which is the case in most situations. What is happening now is now, not that Disney has announced that these shows are returning, that is yet to happen, but it does pave the way for Disney to bring those shows back. Um, and that's, that's good news. Um, for all those who want to do that and feel that Disney provides a safe space. Now, you get into a place like a backstage theater, and if you've been in a backstage theater on Broadway, you know, you get into these tight spaces and you're working close with people and so forth. Disney's backstage areas, uh, there's a lot to be said. They're not perfect, but Disney spends a lot more money in terms of facilities and providing for its performers than you typically find uh, on most in most theaters and most stages, especially the the older theaters. However, notwithstanding all these kinds of things, uh, what this does suggest is that by adding these shows or being able to add these shows back into the mix of park offerings, hopefully we'll be able to see the park be able to accommodate more people. <coughs> Pass holders, please. And... Um, and uh, and that's what I'm really hoping. Um, and I think it also not only improved pass holders coming, I think there are a lot of people out there who want to visit Disney, but man, you know, Animal Kingdom is a different thing if you don't have its shows. Holly, Disney's Hollywood Studios. You know, it's got great rides now and it's got Galaxy's Edge, but there are some really important foundational shows that, Indiana Jones, Beauty and the Beast. These things are are a part of the fabric of these parks. So all of this kind of helps make this uh, possible moving forward. By the way, Disney has countered what the union has said with the following statement, quote, we have offered the location to help with community testing. The Florida Division of Emergency Management will operate the location, which is available to cast members and their immediate families, as well as Florida residents. Any suggestion that this has been done as a result of any one union is unfounded. Our actions support all castes and our community at large. This is why, end of quote, this is why there's kind of some implications there because Disney's not just dealing with this issue here. It's also a part of the issues they're dealing with with unions out in California. Not to say that there aren't a lot of bigger issues with, with covid 19 and the spread, particularly in the Orange County area of California. That's a whole nother conversation. And I should also note that Disney cast members are not paid for the time they just go and get tested. So, so there has been compromise though, and hopefully we'll see some good things come of that. 
Next, passholder news. This week was the last day for passholders to cancel their annual pass if they didn't want to continue on. Options have been given to cancel your annual pass by August 12th of 2020. Apparently the phones were pretty busy even the day after the phones were pretty busy according to other uh, blog posts. Uh, meanwhile, we're all looking, of course, now, now I, I have to say, I think this is very interesting because I think there's a, per, I think there is a significant percentage who kind of saw what a Disney park experience was. And they were saying, you know, and maybe they're looking at their budget and maybe they're kind of saying, you know, it's still summer and they're kind of saying it's hard to get a reservation and they're looking at all these factors and they're saying maybe it's just not worth uh, continuing my annual pass. That should cut a percentage. Another percentage is automatically being cut because every month a twelfth of those uh, wanting to renew come up for renewal. I mean, I'm sure there are more in January and so forth, but 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 by and by about a twelfth, you know, go through. So and 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 it's been several months. Uh, a lot of people had their my annual pass uh, was technically supposed to uh, expire in uh, I think. April, it's now expiring this month, but I've already renewed. So so you're seeing a lot of people perhaps fall out. However, looking at the calendar, it's still very hard to make park reservations. And I think that's a little disappointing at this time. Uh, by the way, I have a photo of, um, we'd received a box this last week for my son's annual pass, which just expired, <laughs> but I, I got his annual pass. Uh, I, I, I had forgotten to do a magic band order. And just like those thing on resort property, if you're an annual pass holder, you can order a free magic band. So I ordered one and, and that finally came in this week. Disney has announced that those are not going to be complimentary come 2020 that they are going to move, they're still going to be available if you want to use a magic uh, band, that's terrific. And they're, they're still gonna sell them in stores and have you know really fancy custom ones, which there's been some really cool ones come out lately, but they're finally moving into using um, technologies such as an Apple Watch, which I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm thinking it's been like five, six years I've been expecting this to happen. Since the first announcements of a magic band, uh, I've been expecting Disney to provide the technology. There's no reason why you can't use an Apple Watch or something comparable to get into your room, to get into the park, to go ahead and, and use at the FastPass place. Certainly, you have Apple Pay and those kinds of things to handle purchases, which are already available. Uh, why hasn't this occurred before? My theory has, because, because, and here's the trivia question of the day, who has been in, up until now, the biggest stockholder at Disney in terms of the number of shares of stock? And the answer to that is Steve Jobs. When Disney bought Pixar, they gave Steve Jobs an enormous number of shares of stock. Now, of course, he's passed away. I don't know exactly what, if his shares have been divided or kept or whatever. But at that time... Disney, Steve was the biggest shareholder. And you'd think that the guy who invented the Apple Watch and the iPhone and all these other cool things would have turned 
to Disney and said, okay, you know, you're going to want to use these technologies for doing these things. I think what happened is the Magic Bands came out and they were so popular and they found that there was a whole market for selling them and they just kind of kept going with it. And Apple Watch, I think a lot of people have taken on Apple Watch. I don't know that it's taken on like an iPhone has, um, although an iPhone provides a lot of the same technology. So, so it's kind of interesting. Um, but I, as a pass holder who's had an Apple Watch for some time, it's just been like, when am I going to be able to just get in the park using my watch? Hopefully that time will be coming the first of the year. Meanwhile, between now and the first of the year, Disney is changing hours in the fall. Now, normally this would not be news. If you've paid attention and as a pass holder, you do pay attention to how the parks opening and closing ebbs and flows. In fact, over the last previous year, previous to COVID, I had a real problem with Magic Kingdom closing too early, um, doing a fireworks at eight or nine and closing right at nine because it moved everybody out in the park and out in front of the monorails and the boats and the buses. And it was a nightmare to get everybody across the lagoon. And, and on days where a year or two prior or years prior, that park would have continued to stay open until 10, 11, 12, and they'd cut the hours early. So with attendance being like it is, and with the drive for guests coming out of state to visit the park and so forth, not being what they anticipated, who is surprised that the parks have uh, cut their hours starting in um, moving in through September, starting in uh, September 8th. Um, here's what it looks like. Magic Kingdom will be 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Currently it's 7 p.m. Epcot will be 11 to 7 p.m. Um, I guess it's 8 p.m. right now, but I thought it was up till 9 p.m. Uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios will be 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. before it was 8 p.m. Um, and Disney's Animal Kingdom will be 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. before it was 6 p.m. So again, in September, they usually cut about an hour or so. So this isn't really surprising, but the hours were already pretty cut. Um, I should also mention that after four pass holders will temporarily become after two pass holders, after 2 p.m., when they can get out, uh, get uh, into Epcot uh, after 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And that will happen when Epcot starts closing at 7 p.m. Now, people who come to Epcot after four, what are they doing? They're not coming because Soren is their favorite ride in the world. They're coming because they love to take a walk along World Showcase, find a restaurant, dine, maybe take in the fireworks and go home. That is what an after four does. So now you're cutting it down to 7 p.m. closing. I mean, are we going to are we going to have dinner at 4:30? What's what's the thinking there? Certainly, you're not going to be able to do a lot of dinner rotations when you're cutting that um, late. Although I wouldn't be surprised if they're still seating a lot of these restaurants at 6:55. And let me just make a hint to you: I'd take that time. I would take a, the latest time possible because chances are that means you'll just be able to get out around eight and then just saunter on out of there. But let me make some observations about these park hours. First, park hours probably do need a little cutting as, as kind of they've done for Disney's Animal Kingdom. You can do that park quickly. 
it doesn't need to be open um, that late. So I kind of get Animal Kingdom nine to six works. I would, I don't think it was necessary to go. It was eight to six before. Um, I get that. Park hours do not need cutting at Magic Kingdom or Disney's Hollywood Studios. In fact, if anything, they probably need extending at those parks. So that's a flag to me. Um, I want to be able to see, if I can't see fireworks, at least be able to let me see the castle lit up at night on my way out. But if you close the park so early, it's still, you know, sun, the sun is still setting. It's kind of missing a piece of the magic. Uh, and, and and by the way, one of the challenges is, is if you're a resort guest, what are you going to do next? Because there isn't a whole lot more to go back and do in, in the hotel. So we'll talk about this on a future episode. But, um, but again, part of that issue, Epcot hours could be cut. But if you're going to cut them, cut them in the front of the day, not at the end of the day. Um, noon is fine. For bringing people into the parks especially in the heat nobody wants to come in before noon also why can't some days like weekends be longer at the parks like epcot that way more could enjoy the food and food and wine festival in fact if uh, which is my fourth thought if you provided more options for pass holders to visit epcot after four if they had a dining reservation so take your gold your silver all your different pass holders and say look i know you get three reservations but we'll also give you an after four and after two to enjoy at Epcot anytime you want. Guess guess what's going to happen? Or, or maybe say you can visit Epcot after four, after two, if you have a dining reservation. Let me tell you how quickly the, those restaurants would be filling. Um, again, if you just gave a few more options because yeah, maybe the pass holders don't do room and, room and board like um, like your guests staying in the resorts. Maybe they're not buying a ticket at the gate, but they still have the capacity to spend some serious money once they're in the park. And I think, I think you're leaving money on the table not to provide your annual pass holders with more options. Okay, that's enough about pass holders. I know not everybody's pass holder out there, but sometimes I have to vent. Um, Epcot, food and wine festival. So we've been adding more items in our review of Epcot's International Food and Wine Festival, which now I think we have about 30 items uh, that we have uh, reviewed. My wife and daughter checked out a few items and you can go onto our notes page and see them. You can also go and see the larger uh, post, which includes a podcast, but the, but the post continues to add additional restaurants. She, um, uh, my wife, Kath, tried out the filet mignon in Canada and was uh, uh, the photo is not impressive when you see it. However, um, she was dragging the thing with a napkin on top of it over to World Showplace to eat, and by the time she got to take it, uh, not not pretty. However, she said it was a great tasting filet mignon, worth the price, and she gave it three stars. Um, my daughter got the lobster tail, um, and uh, at the citrus uh, kiosk. And whatever citrus touches they do, it just wasn't really working for her. In fact, she was disappointed at how expensive this lobster tail was, lobster on a stick, so to speak. She ended up getting lobster macaroni and cheese at uh, World Showplace and found it 
more filling and less expensive. In fact, you almost get just about as much lobster, if not as much, in the mac and cheese, and you get and uh, and uh, and you love it. And, and she, like the rest of us, gave the mac and cheese three stars, but she only gave two stars to the uh, to the lobster tail uh, that she experienced. She did also have a liquid nitro Twix uh, cake pop. And she gave that three stars, but she wondered afterwards if the liquid nitro M&M cake pop wouldn't have been a little more texture, a little more crisp. I think that that freezing element really does that for M&Ms, doesn't quite do the same for for a Twix um, bar. But notwithstanding, both are definitely three stars. So you want to check that out again, go uh, to our show notes page, go to our blog post. We've got a lot to cover on food and wine, and we'll continue to update that as we go through the remainder of the season. There's still like five, six kiosks that haven't even opened up for the traditional food and wine festival. Not sure, I assume that's going to happen toward the end of August, but we haven't heard, I don't think we've heard an exact date on that. All right, we've covered Walt Disney World. Wanna just soar around the world. No, not soaring around the world, but but head to some of the parks globally and talk about some things going on there. South China Post stated, and we have links to all these, uh, stated that um, uh, that all full-time employees or cast members, staff cast members, have been asked to take a day's unpaid leave every week from August 17th um, until things get better. Um, it has been stated to have impacted up to 4,000 cast members. I don't think there are that many staff, non-guest facing, but maybe so. A 20, but that's what the, uh, the article said. A 20 to 30% cut in salary has already been expected of executives at the VP level and, and higher. That's been in place since April. Uh, it was originally closed on January 26th then reopened on June 18th. It was one of the first to reopen. Uh, no, it wasn't. Shanghai was. And then only to close again on July 15th. So it has had a really, this has a bumpy road. Um, and in the interim, King, uh, Hong Kong's tourism has ground to a halt as uh, visitor arrivals have slumped by 90% uh, to just 3.5 million in the first half of 2020 according to uh, provincial official figures. If you've not made, the hard thing about Hong Kong is it should be on everybody's travel bucket list. It is a city unlike any other. And I'm not just talking about the park. Take some time to go see the park, but take some time to see Hong Kong. It truly is an amazing area. And, and South Asia let me just say, you're missing it to not see Singapore and Malaysia and some of these other places in the Southeast Southeast Asian area. It truly is, uh, okay, so you're gonna die sweating. But other than that, it is an amazing place to visit. It is a once in a lifetime place to put on your bucket list for sure. Um, but boy, and, and tourism is a huge part of Hong Kong, but between it and um, issues with mainland China, it, there's a lot of struggles going on in Hong Kong. Um, let's uh, hit China. 
The Nikkei uh, Asian Review noted that Disney closed its Eng Disney English Learning Centers in China, recognizing that online learning has become the preference during the lockdown. Now, um, here's something that probably most listeners don't know. When you think about Disneyland and Walt Disney World, how do people, how did people get interested in going to those parks? They were raised on Disney movies and television. Uh, the early, the early Disneyland show that premiered a year before Disneyland opened in 1955, that was uh, foundational in building um, people who were willing to drive from anywhere to see this very unique place. The same continued as the East Coast got Walt Disney World. And over the years, I mean, the, the whole na Disney name and its legacy and brand, the movies, you know, if, you, if you've seen Star Wars, don't you want to see Star Wars Galaxy Edge? If you've seen Beauty and the Beast, don't you want to see Beauty and the Beast and so forth? So this has been the pattern by which you get particularly young audiences to grow up wanting to go to a Disney park. Well, the problem is in China that for most years, the larger percentage of the population has not been exposed to Disney film and television product. It's only been the last few years and it's been a rocky few years up until recently. Um, after Snow White, which did that did show in Shanghai, Disney films were did, Disney animated features were not shown for decades in China, and so how do you get young people to know who Mickey Mouse is, Donald Duck, all the Disney characters to get excited about going to this thing you're going to open up and call Disney? Well. One of the brilliant things Disney did is it went into the English teaching program where they provided kids that were from, I think, about four to 12, an opportunity to go to after-school programs where uh, English speakers, a lot of them coming from the United States, but other English-speaking countries, came and taught English. And they had these magical places to learn English. And, and... It was enormously popular. It had a great following. They were they were coveted, and there was often a, a line to get into the classes that were available. Um, they've been doing that since 2009. At one point, there were about 44 centers, um, but uh, just recently, it gotten down to about 26 locations, with about 10 of them in Shanghai. But don't don't miss the point. Over a hundred thousand children have been through these Disney English schools over the years. Well, um, if you and, and this is so interesting because what they would do is they would use Mickey and Minnie, but they and some of the current product and offering, like Aladdin or Lion King to help teach, but they often dragged out some of these cartoons going from the silly symphony years on up to teach um, different concepts of, um, of, of different things. So, and so these things were, 
So you'd have Johnny Appleseed with apples teaching you the word for apple and that kind of thing is the, which is really funny because when you go into Shanghai Disneyland, it is not the Victorian Main Street USA. It's, there's not an American component at all really in the parks. Uh, but what you have is Mickey Avenue. And Mickey Avenue, I'm not sure why they didn't make it like a Toontown, but it's a little broader than a Toontown theme. When you get in there, you find homage to Disney characters of all sorts. I put a photo in here of some crates that are in one of the restaurants. And there you see characters like uh, yeah, Donald Duck and uh, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. But then you get into um, Pecos Bill. You get into um, uh, Hiawatha. You get into obscure Disney characters that honestly, if most Americans were looking at it, they would not know who these characters are. So, it's in, so with the pandemic... Uh, it just wasn't possible to host those. I think they tried some online things, but they've kind of decided they're getting out of that business. And so uh, they've kind of moved on to other things, and I think that will be uh, successful. But it is the end of, a, of an era, and there will be a, old adults 60 years from now who say, I remember when I was a child going through Disney English classes. Uh, the second thing we should mention from specifically Shanghai Disney is that Ignite the Dream, a nighttime spectacular of magic and light, is currently in trial operations. Uh, they're making some operational adjust adjustments. It's not all perfect. I don't know how they're handling the spacing issue. I kind of thought it would be interesting to do a boarding pass and to see what that would be like. Um, but uh, notwithstanding, um, that is... Uh, that is happening right now. So the implications for Disney parks is that, well, maybe, just maybe, we'll, uh, from these experiences, we'll see some fireworks coming to the Disney parks in the not-too-distant future. Now, having covered those two parks, let me just cover another one that is a little more disappointing. Disneyland Paris did reopen um, in mid-July. That was all great news. Um, however, the signature Disneyland Hotel did not open with the park. And if you're not familiar, the Disneyland Hotel is this Grand Victorian, looks like the Flor Grand Floridian in, in, in its own way, um, has that um, uh, Coronado Island uh, hotel uh, look and feel. Any rate, that has not opened. And initially, the thought was that they would reopen it on September 7th. Now they have pushed that date back to December 8th. And I would say that's because bookings are simply not there. And in fact, the Sequoia Lodge, um, which is um, a nice, beautiful lodge, but it is not Disney's Wilderness Lodge or Disney's Grand California Lodge, it is not slated to reopen until March of 2021. And the Hotel Cheyenne, which is kind of um, uh, a more uh, value-type hotel between moderate and value, it opened for the summer, but it's closing back up in October and is not opening back up again until March of next year. So I mentioned this because 
this has implications for probably where the Walt Disney World hotels are going. It may be that some of these hotels open up during peak season and then they go away. Or some don't open up for a long time to come. Um, the traffic in Paris is different than the traffic in Orlando. Most of the traffic really comes during those summer months. That's when you've got to have kind of all, all hotels on board. Although, again, they didn't go with opening up the Disneyland Hotel or the um, Sequoia Lodge during that period. It, it's more to see, but that is, a, that is a little bit of a flag. Now, finally, let's talk about new animals at Kilimanjaro Safari. Now, many of you have been on Kilimanjaro Safaris, probably a few times at least. Let me just help you kind of see where we're at on the, on the, on the Serengeti plane here. Remember, you get way out into that plane and you, you pass the elephants, you get to the flamingos. Remember the part where you circle around that little flamingo pond? And then just after you get to the cheetahs, which you can never see because they're always hiding way in the background and kind of in the shade. And then you get to the lion's den and you see the lion. Hopefully you have a chance to see the lions there. And then you go past um, the um, uh, the Pumbaa den <laughs> um, where where you see. Um, uh, and, and even beyond that, you have just a, a couple of hippos and so forth. But then you enter a little segment. And actually what you do is you, cr you cross a cattle guard and kind of a gate originally the driver would say um as you as you left this warthog section um it looks like the gate has been broken um the poachers must be this way or something of that nature and you would head out looking for the poachers and you would go through this what seemed to be a winding trail and it would take you by oh you know they we found the poachers camp and then the next thing you know, though, you hear the plane landing and you come up to the plane and we found Little Red and he's been rescued and he's okay. And, and then you finally exit that uh, segment and go into the section where you, you pass the waterfalls and finally to the exit of the attraction. Well, around 2012, they decided that they would end this storyline around Big Red and Little Red and, and all that, the plane was taken out and space was made at that point for the zebras to have their own little section. And uh, zebras always have had a little difficulty getting along with others. There's something about these zebras and then tell you their kick is, is can be lethal. Um, and, and so they thought, let's put the zebras kind of in their own little groupings. Well, it didn't quite work and they kept Kind of moving off to other areas it just it just didn't work and so by 2013 i don't think that lasted a year uh they were putting in some other um uh types of i, I think oryx or something of that nature into um that section and honestly uh, half the time there wasn't anything there uh, it was just like you were going through there were some bubbling pots that still remain from the original scenes but there really wasn't a whole lot more. Well, when I was there uh, last week, I noticed on the ride that in the centerpiece, you kind of do this little circle and the, and the bubbling pots are on the outside, but in the inside circle of this thing, um, there was a new cement pad that was put down and it, it wasn't a big one. It was about, I would say about uh, 12 feet by about, 
six feet in size. Apparently, according to social media, that has become something of a small uh, African barn, for lack of a better um, term, and um, kind of almost like a little a little farm hut, so to speak. From what I understand, the plan is to put in African pygmy goats or something like that. Maybe it's a different kind of goat, but that's my understanding is, is we kind of merge back into civilization. We kind of come to this rural farm and here uh, um, you see these, these goats, which are, I think even there may be some degree of fencing or something. So, so as to kind of make it look a little bit farm-like. Anyway, uh, just want to let you know next time you're on Kilimanjaro Safaris, let's check it out. We'll, we'll confirm all the rumors on this when we get a more positive uh, or more uh, a certain word from Disney. But, but whatever it ends up being, it's great to see that the attraction is being plussed up continually. I mean, a couple of years ago when they went to the nighttime safaris, they added the, the, uh, the dogs and... Um, and which I think were a little more like hyenas or whatever, but they've had it, the Angoli cattle have been added over the years. So there's been a little pluses over time, but it really is truly one of the great attractions ever developed. Uh, just the feel, and I have been on Safari in Africa, and I assure you, this is as real as it gets. And in some ways, it's a little better than reality. So definitely. Make sure that the next time you're at Disney's Animal Kingdom to check out uh, Kilimanjaro Safaris. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. There's always more um, with us. We offer so much, not only this podcast and its links uh, and connections to DisneyAtPlay.com, but there's also DisneyAtWork.com, where we take best in business ideas from the happiest place on earth, and help them help you to apply them back into your own um, into your own workplace. Uh, this week we had kind of a fun little um, podcast and post on Pandora Panic, Fantasyland, Fear and Anxiety, American Adventure style, which really talked about the deadline and trying to get an attraction created in time for a park opening or attraction opening, and and some of the challenges that occurred there, and then some of the lessons out of that so we kind of had a little bit of fun at that but and then at disneyatplay.com we also had a great story the other day can the avengers save disneyland if you haven't checked out that podcast please be certain to do so um there's so much to cover so much to see so much to do we love bringing it to you and we hope that you will will check it out if you like it please give us a kind rating or word over at iTunes because that helps get the word out to more people and uh, and just share it in general with others. And then finally, we bid adieu to you by reminding you of the great words of Sinbad's storybook voyage at Tokyo Disney Sea, where Alan Menken's words remind us to always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We will see you real soon.